Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for another installation of Season 2 of the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions. My name is Matt Pajak, co-founder of Loden Sports. Before we get started, quick plug on what Loden Sports is. We are the affordable human performance data provider. If you're interested in learning more about how we benchmark athletic development, inform athlete health and readiness, and identify outliers, visit our website at www.loadensports.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sports and read our blog, which is also available through our website. I also want to throw a shout-out to our friends at Yellow Box Macaroons, the first unofficial sponsor of the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions. If you're a fan of sweet treats, their hand-curated coconut macaroons are a must. Continuing on the tradition of Jackie Weiss, Yellow Box Macaroons is the most delicious box of macaroons in the world. If you don't like coconut or macaroons, that's on you. Find your next box on www.yellowboxmacaroons.com or on Instagram at yellowboxmacaroons. The Outlier Sessions have been created as a way to bridge the gap and create a connection between the aspiring and the achieving. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Our That's guest great. on today's Outlier Session is Vanderbilt outfielder and MLB draft prospect Spencer Jones. Now I feel like that doesn't do him justice. Spencer is one of the more unique draft prospects in that he's a 6'7", 230-pound outfielder who can really run. Uh, we put him through an eval last month in Nashville and certified him as a 0.2 percenter, a very unique blend of size, power, and speed, a true outlier athlete. We're just a few days away from the 2022 MLB draft. Next week, Spencer will be rocking a new fitted cap, so we thought we'd bring him on, learn a little bit more about him, his development, getting more in touch with who he is as an athlete, and his recent experience at the MLB draft combine. Spencer, thanks for hopping on with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for uh, joining us. Obviously, it's going to be a hectic week for you. Um, you know, maybe it's the calm before the storm. But are you nervous at all? You got a big weekend coming up. What's going through your head right now? I'm not too nervous. You know, this has been a long time coming. You know, in a lot of senses, this is something that I've always dreamed about. Is you know, being able to hear my name called and have my family and friends around. So I'm just living in the moment. I'm enjoying this week and what's you know what's coming up, but. For now, I'm just trying to have fun with my family and enjoy these, uh, you know, a couple of weeks that I've had back at home. Love it. Uh, give us a little background on yourself. You play the last three years at Vanderbilt and Nashville, um, obviously out in Tennessee, home for you, Southern California. You know, talk a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, of course. So I I grew up in Encinitas, California. Uh, my parents still live here, and so do you know a lot of my family members. But it's a nice little beach bubble community in North County, San Diego. I live like five ten minutes from the beach. So um, living in Southern California, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to play baseball. I was really you know really close with my little league group, and um, you know on that whole community. And as I just kind of got older um, and started taking baseball more seriously, just because I was, you know, getting bigger and faster and stronger and realizing that baseball is something that, you know, I want to do and that's what I love to do. Um, you know, I started doing travel ball tournaments and this, that or whatever. And um, at one of them, uh, Vanderbilt scouted me um, as an outfielder way back in the day. Um, but yeah, when I met met those guys, I felt like it was a match made in heaven. I went on a few visits to other schools in the California area, and my parents were like, we'll pay for one flight for you to get out of state, wherever you want to go. And for me, it was Vanderbilt. So that was always the dream. And, um, yeah, I'm so glad that I've been able to spend the last three years there. 
you know, I couldn't see myself going to any other program or living anywhere else in the country. So that's awesome. I look forward to uh, a little bit further into this, getting a little bit more into the nitty gritty on your experience at Vanderbilt and all the different things that went on. But before we really get rolling on things, I got a couple quick hitters for you. It should be just a quick, you know, one word answer. Yes, no, you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, just in the spirit of, you know, your background, um, you ready? Of course. All right. Were you bummed when the Chargers left for Los Angeles? No. Do you serve? to go a little bit. Oh, yes. I, um, no, I don't, sir. I don't consider myself a surfer. Longboard? No, I'm just now, you know, I have buddies who surf, you know, five, six times a week, and it'd be lucky to get me out there once every month. So I wouldn't consider myself a surfer, but I can surf if you, you know, maybe. All right. So if it's not surfing, let's talk about food a little bit. California burrito or fish taco? California burrito. Yeah, that's one of the greatest food items ever. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on those, man. <laughs> what's the What's the best burrito you've ever had? Um, there's this uh, just down the ho- or down the street from my house. It's called Los Tacos off of Encinitas Boulevard, and they have this burrito. It's the um, Dos Amores burrito. It's just a wonderful, beautiful burrito. It's al pastor, you know, French fries, cabbage shrimp you know everything and it's just so perfect perfectly wrapped up it's like one of those things where you don't really forget your first bite you know so i come home and that's the first thing my parents get for me is one of those burritos as soon as i walk in the door so i mean that sounds amazing stashing that in my back pocket for the next time i'm in southern california Uh, i had san diego burritos and fish tacos for a week when i was in college uh, and there's really nothing quite like it anywhere else in the country. It's kind of hard to explain to people who haven't had it, but, um, yeah, jealous, jealous of what you just described. Yeah. In Nashville, they, uh, they give me a hard time cause I say my favorite food's Mexican food, but they have no idea, you know? All right. So I feel like this is a layup then better food city, San Diego or Nashville, San Diego. Yeah. I love Nashville, but I mean, I grew up on, you know, refried beans and cheese. So, <laughs> um, all right. Last one on the quick hitters, favorite city you've ever been to. Ooh. could be a town. Um, it could be a town too. It doesn't have to be a city. It's gotta be Nashville. Now that, you know, I have some roots there and I'm able to figure out, you know, the things that I like to do out there, it's gotta be my most favorite city. But as far as visiting college towns, like I loved Athens. I liked Oxford a lot. Um, I thought Fayetteville, Arkansas was a really cool place too. So, Yeah, you might be uh, outside of alumni of Arkansas. You might be one of the only people to name <laughs> a city in Arkansas. Um, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and roll into some long-term athlete development. It's something that's near and dear to our hearts at Loden Sports. So naturally, we're going to hit you with a few of our signature LTAC questions before we get more into your journey. So um, emotional well-being. It's really important. We like to keep it at the forefront of our priority list every day. An easy way to do that is to dwell on and deliberate on uh, gratitude so spencer what are three things that you're grateful for today um 
you know, I'm grateful for my family and their health more than anything. You know, I've been lucky that I've had such a big family and everybody's been around for so long and always supported me. So I'm extremely grateful for my family. Um, I'm extremely grateful for, you know, the relationships that I've been able to build in Nashville and the community out there. And, um, you know, those people are very special and, you know, they mean a lot to me. It's a huge part of my life. And then thirdly, I'd say I'm grateful for, you know, just the experience of where I'm at right now and being able to appreciate the moment and, you know, see some fruits of the labor, you know, come to it. But, you know, this is only a step in the, in the right direction. And I'm just grateful that I'm, you know, moving that way towards the ultimate goal. So. Awesome. I've got secondhand gratefulness for you for the Dos Amores burrito. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, for me today, cause I've, I've been doing this every day for, over four years now so uh trying to find new things to be grateful for uh i guess when you're grateful isn't necessarily a challenge but uh it is something that i gotta be a little bit more creative with so one for me today is clean tap water uh because a lot of places in this world you can't drink what's coming out of the tap uh two leftovers that keep well and having a fridge mm -hmm. that you can keep them in especially in the summer when it's like 100 degrees outside um, and then three, this is probably one that doesn't pop up on too many people's lists, but I've, I've had a mostly reliable experience with them over the course of my life. The United States postal service, I think they actually do a pretty good job for what they offer. Oh, it's so funny. I actually just used the, uh, United States postal service yesterday. I sent my buddy a package. He's getting surgery. So I sent him some, uh, goodies from down here just to cheer him up a little bit. That's awesome. You send him a photo. Yeah. <laughs> I wish if it kept well, right? Yeah. Right. I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to do in the plane or whatever. So. All right. Well, our second L tag question is about ignition. Uh, I love ignition. This is kind of what keeps the fire lit for the athlete to continue to want to play their sport. Um, honestly, it's part of the reason why I do what I do. I mean, I, it's, it's not about playing the sport necessarily, but being involved. Um, and I can think back to when I was a kid and, just how much I love the sport of baseball and how driven that was by all kinds of different factors and, and never really being pushed, uh, in that direction. So, um, you know, we're kind of facing it, not just in baseball, but in every sport in this country right now, a lot of kids are quitting sports as they get to high school, uh, because they were pushed too hard as kids from parents or coaches or whatever that may be. So ignition is very organic. It's what captures the interest of the young athlete. Could be a person in your life, someone you grew up watching a moment. Uh, Spencer, talk to us a little bit about what or who ignited you when you were younger to pursue this path. So I would say my family definitely ignited me for this. You know, um, what I feel like what ignites me day to day is like I do this for me, you know, because I want to be as good of an athlete as I could be or as great of a baseball player I can be and play it at the highest level. So, you know, my family's been very supportive in that. I see how hard my parents work, um, you know, just trying to raise the family. I have three older brothers, so having six of us in the house and then having to work just to, you know, keep everything in order, you know, inspires you a lot. And so for me, I just see this as, you know, a great chance for me to, you know, give back to them, but at the same time do it for myself because it's so gratifying to be able to see yourself grow, you know, as an athlete and as a person, you know, within the world of sports. So you just hit on something there. You get five other siblings and what did you say? Three older brothers? 
I got I got three older brothers. That's it. Yeah. So, what's the average height in your house? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, are they also athletes, or what are they up to? So yeah, I got three older brothers. The oldest one, Wesley. He's um he's married. He's about you know six three, six four, um, and he played you know football and rugby and lacrosse in high school, but didn't didn't stick with any sports into college. And you know he went to art school, and um, him and his wife are both artists. And he's you know working as a bartender, and he's got you know another. He's doing more classes to you know build up his resume. So. He's been doing that. I have another brother, Ethan, who's in, out in Belgium right now. He's about 6'5", and funny enough, he's actually playing baseball right now. He's doing uh, the club team out at his uh, master's program. So he didn't play any sports either. He played baseball in high school a little bit, but I think he was pushed too hard when he was younger and you know kind of burned out of it. But he's the one that really drove me towards baseball because he was so into it at a young age. I would just follow him around everywhere. So... He's out in Belgium. He comes back in September. And then my uh, brother, who's just a year older than me, he's um, he's living in Philly right now. He played lacrosse and um, he played lacrosse and football growing up with me. And we used to work out together all the time. But since he's he's dropped it since he's gone to college and he's more focused in music, he's in a band and they're doing some touring and some recording and stuff. So I'm excited for him. He's been he's been doing extremely well since leaving the nest. So, well, it sounds like you got a good mix there and uh shout out to your parents, you know, obviously, you know, very athletic family, but at the same time, it sounds like you guys have a lot of different creative interests too, which I think is super important for kids growing up. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and shout out to your brother in Philly, another really good food city. So <laughs> <laughs> I know I need to get out there and uh, try one of the cheesesteaks. Yeah, I've go. only heard, I've heard so much about it. So. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the journey uh, in our blog post. And if you haven't read it yet, check out loadinsports.com slash blog. It's titled MLB Draft Spotlight, Spencer Jones, Outlier Athlete. Uh, we wonder where you'd be had you grown up in a different part of the country. So Southern California, baseball heavy region. Did anyone ever try and get you in pads? Did you ever play basketball growing up? Was it always baseball or could it have been something else? Yeah. So, I mean, I played a lot of baseball growing up and in little league and stuff. And I was doing, you know, when I was a little kid, I was doing peewee soccer and baseball and all that. But baseball is the only sport I've played consistent, consistently my whole life. I did basketball in middle school and at the end of elementary school. And for me, it was fun. But I just, you know, the, the coach's kid was above me. And I was like, I'm not going to sit on the B team well, your kid gets all the opportunities. So I kind of faded out of basketball um, once I got to high school. And I played a little bit of football um, when I was younger, but I, it just wasn't my thing, you know, more than anything else. I didn't really, didn't really like was what it was about. Wasn't really big into hitting other kids so or getting hit. So I, I wrapped that up before I, before I got to high school, but um, the high school coach would always try to recruit me. He'd always say, we need, a, we need a new tight end. How about you come play for us? Or oh, we need somebody on the end to go play D-line. You know, he, he tried consistently for three years and eventually gave up on my senior year. So, Well, I'm, I'm glad that he did because, uh, you know, athletes, baseball needs athletes like you. Um, 
Yeah, there, there's a couple of them out there, six, seven, running around doing some pretty freaky things at the, you know, highest levels. Obviously, you got Aaron Judge and O'Neill Cruz, and we can get into that a little bit later on. But, um, you know, pretty cool to have an athlete of your size that, in a lot of other parts of the country, is probably playing football or basketball or something else. Um, so happy to have you in baseball. Um, Appreciate it. Let's let's timeline the whole. Pitcher, position player, both. No, I'm a pitcher. Wait, I'm a position player now thing. Uh, most six, seven players, and it's probably one of the reason why. One of the reasons why six, seven baseball players aren't playing baseball and they're playing other sports is they're often pushed to the mound. Um, and as we objectively know, most six, seven players don't have your raw athleticism. More on that later, but. Did Vanderbilt recruit you as a pitcher or a position player, or was it a we'll figure it out when he gets here situation? So, yeah, it was one of those we'll figure it out when you get here kind of things. So I, I committed really early in high school. I committed as a freshman. And back then I wasn't pitching. I was just playing outfield and first base and running around being an athlete and stuff like that. And then going into – it was about going into my senior year, I started focusing more on pitching and getting my arm in shape to get on a mound because, you know, my whole life I'd been pushed towards a mound. we just always been able to defer it, you know, just like, I'll uh, just give him another year, it'll be fine. But um, so I started pitching and taking it more seriously, and I did the showcase circuit and went to all those fun All-American games. And was they saw me more as primarily a pitcher than a position player. And, you know, that, that didn't sit right with me because I was – I always hit growing up and through high school for the first few years, I was always just a hitter first. And then um, once I got on the mound and was throwing a bunch, um, my arm just got tired and led to an injury, um, broke my elbow my senior year of high school, uh, literally on a pitch in a game, I threw a curveball and I just felt a snap. And so that was March of my senior year. I had to go and get surgery to fix that up. Had a couple pins put in there and then from there, I was just hitting, just DHing. They sent me to a summer league um, before my freshman year of college. And yeah, from there, I was just hitting, having fun, doing whatever. And once I showed up on campus, my arm hadn't really healed as much as we would have liked, but they still had me out there playing first base every single day and, you know, in the lineup and hitting a bunch. And I was hitting well. Um, I just wasn't, you know, throwing up to par. And then the season gets cut short, COVID happens and everything. And um, I, I get enough time to rehab my arm finally after after a year or so. And I built myself back up pitching-wise, was working with my pitching coach again, was back to where I was in high school and throwing the ball hard. And then they sent me out to summer ball again to the same team in Santa Barbara. And I was two-wang, I was playing first base, and I was pitching. Um, and then it was just one night, um, I had a quick inning, sat on, the, sat on the bench for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. We had a, scored a couple runs, and then, I get back out there and it was like the fourth or fifth pitch of an inning through a curveball and I kind of felt the twinge. And from there, I kind of had a feeling something might have been wrong. But yeah, turns out I tore my UCL and had to get Tommy John surgery, which was a huge blow, huge blow to me because I knew that meant, you know, I couldn't be hitting, you know, as soon as I wanted to be or being able to play every day. And so two arm injuries in two years was a major buzzkill for me. And when I showed up back on campus, I told I told the coaching staff, like, hey, I want to rehab this as a position player. I want to come back as soon as possible. I want to be able to play every day and, you know, play outfield or first base, wherever you guys need me to play. Just, just you know, pump the brakes on pitching for now. And then 
uh, I went through the whole year. There was just kind of half a year, really. That's what it felt like because I wasn't—I didn't feel too involved in what was going on in the field because I was dealing with so much stuff off the field with rehab. And then I went to the Cape, and that's where they, you know, took the training wheels off, and they said, "All right, you go play every day. Don't worry about your arm. It's completely fine. Go build up strength. Go play every day. You know, go and get as many reps as you can, and come back in the fall and get ready to go." And so it was, it wasn't until my junior year fall, that was the first time I came in healthy and ready to play. And for me, that was a huge difference maker. And I was just able to focus on playing a position, playing outfield and hitting every day and not have to focus on, you know, stuff on the mound or stuff that was taking me away from what I have to do, which is hit. And so once I started hitting a bunch, it was kind of clear that that's, that was going to be the focus for the year. And since then, I haven't really looked back. And hitting looks like you know my main my main thing going forward. Well, kudos to you and your conviction. Um, I guess at every step of the way towards you being a position player, because you kind of touched on it a little bit. You know, when you're in high school, that showcase summer, it's you know it's it's got a way of kind of pushing certain players in certain directions. And like you said, I mean, I remember watching the PG All-American game, and I remember seeing you pitching it, you know, and I I don't, not saying that you didn't hit in that game, but I don't really remember um, whether you got in that bat or not, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the nature of the beast is that, you know, they kind of put you in the box, and um, yeah, I want to say, you know, obviously kudos to you for all the way up to this point, you know, being pretty steadfast on being a position player, and it's it's paying off. Um yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. I actually did get a, I did get an at bat that game. I got a hit and I stole the base and I scored a run. So it's like I did my position player stuff, but everybody remembers the pitching. So <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> You're not the only one. Let it be on the record. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So kudos to you for a third time, but also kudos to Vandy for believing in you. Uh, and providing that opportunity for you to claim that role as a position player um, and kind of sticking with you through, you know, the Tommy John and the the cracked elbow and all the rest. Um, After all you've been through this past year was really your first full season. Uh, Going into the spring, you had 130-ish at-bats, you know, at Vanderbilt, about a freshman's workload. The SEC is a meat grinder. You hit 370 with an OPS over 1,100 for the year, uh, but 354 with an OPS over 1,000 uh, with seven home runs in conference on the toughest track in the country. Kind of explain yourself a little bit. Um, I know it wasn't a surprise to you, but you know, talk about kind of what the first full season as a position player was like. Yeah, I mean, it was special. It's always something I dreamed of, being able to play every day and be a you know, impact guy in a lineup like at a school at Vanderbilt, you know? So for me, it was just taking ownership of, you know, you're good enough. For me, it was like, it took me a while to realize like, hey, you're good enough to play here. And that's that's what I learned in the Cape. It's like, you know, I, I belong, you know? And so once I was able to get that self-belief to where I could carry that forward and, you know, I gained a bunch of strength in the weight room. And so I was, you know, all confidence going into the season. And what I learned more than anything else in playing the SEC is that there's a lot of really, really talented players out there. So, you know, the work, the work isn't over. Obviously there's only better, only better players in professional baseball and more talented guys than you out there. So, um, 
yeah, it was, it was cool just because I was able to, I knew in my heart that I was able to do it, but I was able to go out there and prove it to everybody else every single weekend. So, um, yeah, very special for me and special for my family for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it speaks volumes to kind of what your future ceiling is, uh, that you're able to do that in your first full season. Yeah. I hate to harp on it, but you know, <laughs> the sec really is, that's the, that's the track you want to be on. If you want to, you know, go prove yourself and you led Vandy and hitting in the sec conference. So, um, I can only imagine, you know, in a vacuum, if that's what the first full pass through the SEC looked like, I'd love to see an encore in 2023. I know I'm not going to get that. This isn't a vacuum, and obviously you're moving on to the next challenge. Um, but I think this is the exciting thing about you from a baseball standpoint is that there's probably more in the tank, um, you know, as you get more comfortable with full seasons against good competition. So, um, yeah. I don't know, kind of moving along a little bit to get back to, you know, your height, I guess. What are your thoughts on the stigma against tall players, especially tall position players? I think it's hilarious. I mean, personally, because even at the combine when I was running around and doing things, everybody was like, oh, you're a pitcher, huh? And I was like, no, actually, I'm playing a position. But, I mean, you go back in baseball history and there was a bunch of, you know, really tall baseball players, outfielders especially. You had like Winfield and, Daryl Strawberry and all them that were, you know, big athletic guys that, you know, moved really well for their size. And so um, for me, it's just kind of, I don't want to say breaking down that stigma, but at the same time, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm as, I'm as good as anybody else, you know, my size or shorter. So I just think it's cool being able to play a position at my size because a lot of the pitchers, my size are so jealous of it. So I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. And people throw Aaron Judge's name around a lot with you. Uh, obviously, he's leading candidate for the MVP this year, which you know that's that's a a solid you know name to have attached to you, I guess, going into the draft. But uh, it, I think it's mostly because he's as established as he is. But how about some of the other six, seven position players making some noise around baseball? Like, have you seen O'Neill Cruz play? Um, I think you know from watching him. He's kind of got a similar body, a similar athlete in terms of the way he can run. Uh, and then there's there's a guy in, in A-ball with the Padres. He was a high pick last year, James Woods, 6'7", 240, playing center field, hitting home runs, stealing bags. Um, you know, what's, you know what, what are your thoughts on, on some of these other guys and some of your thoughts on, on the comps to, you know, Aaron Judge or other guys that size? I love it. I mean, I love seeing – you know, other guys my size playing the game, you know, at a high level. And, you know, for me, it's like, you know, you don't really see it that often, obviously. And for me personally, I always felt like I was, I don't want to say a special case, but I knew in my mind, it's like, there's nobody else out me else there, out there on the field that looks like me that plays like I do um, with what I can bring to the table. And so I've seen O'Neill Cruz, a bunch of his highlights and he's an exciting player and he's only going to get better as time goes on for sure. And James Wood, I've seen highlights of him on Twitter and stuff. And that guy's definitely a stud. So I think it's super cool to see guys like my, uh, my size moving around and playing really well. It's just, you know, part of the club, right? Trying to join it. That's it. I think it sets a, a really good precedent for, you know, you entering pro ball where it's, you know, you don't have to do all the, the swatting away of, no, I'm not a pitcher, not, I'm not a pitcher, because there's other guys out there that are doing things that, 
a high level and flashing some really top of the scale tools doing it uh, that are your size. And I, I always thought that the whole, you know, six, seven guys don't play outfield or how many six, seven guys do you see playing outfield? Oh, there can only be Aaron judge. Like that whole argument um, always was never anything that connected with me because when you really think about it, like the majority of baseball players entering professional baseball are, you know, six foot to six, two. So like is six, you know, six to 190 pounds a qualifier for playing center field. No, it's just the majority of the pool that comes into professional baseball is around that size. So that's why you don't see a ton of six, seven guys playing center field. Now, if there was an equal amount of six, seven guys coming into professional baseball, you'd probably see a lot more six, seven guys doing a lot of different things. Fact of the matter is that's just uncommon. Um, so anyway, I'll get off my soapbox on that one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that argument, and I, I just think it's a little bit foolish because it's it's just short-sighted. No, I agree. Let's, I uh, let's agree. talk about raw athleticism. Loden Sports considers any athlete that scores a nine or higher on a Loden Sports evaluation to be an outlier. You're a nine. You're an outlier. It's pretty cool. Uh, did it surprise you at all that you were that much of an objective outlier when we did the testing? Um, a little bit. You know, I always knew I was really athletic for my size, but I didn't really know how it stacked up compared to other athletes, you know, around the country, people that you guys have tested. So I was excited to see, you know, how I how I stacked up and how my body was moving and all that. And, um, yeah, it's just cool to be able to quantify that kind of stuff, you know, because in the past you haven't really been able to do that. And I only feel like I could be a better athlete at some point and we have to go and get tested again someday when I'm moving even better than I am right now. So, yeah, we'll keep benchmarking it. Uh, I know when we sat down last month in Nashville after eval, you learned quite a bit about your athleticism, how it translates to the field. Do you feel like you have an understanding of the role that sustaining athleticism on your pro journey will have on your longevity? Yeah, I definitely feel like maintaining and preserving my athleticism is the most important thing because taking care of your body at the end of the day is the most important thing when it comes to professional sports. And along with that comes with, you know, maintaining that athleticism. And so for me, that's been my main focus since I've been home since the combine is training athletic movements and continuing to build up that twitch that I have um, more than anything. So for me, as I, as I age and hopefully age gracefully, I just want to keep the, uh, you know, the legs moving right and make sure everything's as explosive as it has been in the past or if not more explosive. So. Awesome. Uh, how did you, or will you use the information provided from the loading report in your athletic development? Was it easy to follow when you were looking at it? Yeah, it was definitely easy to follow and it helped me target things that I, you know, I needed to work on and being able to do those things has helped me you know, marginally, but at the end of the day, marginal increases are you know, what makes the biggest difference over time. So I've been able to do those things and better, better understand my body and what I need to do to take care of it and, you know, maintain these movements that I, you know, that I'm making. So, yeah, I mean, I think just from our conversation, um, you know, immediately following the eval, you seem to be grasping things pretty well. Um, and it, you know, it's, it seems like a priority for you to take care of your body and make sure that, you know, you, you keep up with your physical gifts. 
obviously from everything that we know objectively it's, there's a reason why you're outputting 110 plus mile per hour exit velocities and uh, you know you're a top of the scale runner and a lot of that's due to your athleticism um, and obviously from a longevity standpoint you know if you're able to measure that over time that's that's your longevity so um, let's talk a little bit about the MLB combine which I know is the week after we met out in Nashville uh, how was that experience uh, I know it was back home for you what did they have you do what do you think was the most beneficial part of it from your standpoint so yeah the combine was awesome you know having it be in my practically in my backyard in Petco Park was it was super cool because I was able to show guys around that I've known forever, haven't been able to connect with um, in a long time that I've played with in the past and show them around my city a little bit. So, you know, I really enjoyed the whole experience. They put us in a hotel close to the close to the ballpark. And what they had for the most part, it was just the top 300 guys. And, you know, it was pretty much half high school, half college. And so a lot of high school guys were playing. A lot of college guys were doing meetings with professional clubs or they were doing, you know, medical examinations or, strength and conditioning, which was a lot of range of motion testing, measuring different body parts, just so I could get some data points on, you know, the way that we, you know, the way that we are. And so out there I did, I did a little bit of the on-field workout. I threw from the outfields, I hit on the field, and then I ran a 30 yard dash and um, did the strength and conditioning segment with all the measurements. And then on top of that, there was a lot of meetings that happened. So for me, I felt like that was the best part was being able to see, you know, scouting directors and whoever else face to face instead of over a zoom call, like we had been doing in the past. So I think it was, I think it was cool just being able to, you know, connect with the baseball world in that sense. And it kind of just felt like, um, you know, I don't want to say victory lap, but pretty much a victory lap for a lot of these guys who just finished up their seasons and are just able to, you know, take this as a transitioning point into the professional world. I feel like it was definitely something that a lot, was able to ease our tensions a lot moving forward because it answered so many questions that we had, you know, as we as we get along in this process. So it was a really special event, and I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. And, you know, I've heard from a number of different perspectives, you know, just how valuable that experience is, specifically, you know, from the club side, being able to sit down, have the interviews, get face-to-face, and really learn a lot more about the different players that were there um, from the interview standpoint. So um, glad you had, you know, the experience that you had and, you know, obviously it being in your backyard is the cherry on top. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the athletic testing. Did it make a bit more sense after our eval session the week before, kind of some of the stuff that they were having you do um, at the combine? Yeah, of course. So um, being able to work with you guys and being able to do, um, sprint testing and run a 30 yard dash, which I, you know, I haven't done in my amateur baseball career. I'd always been doing the 60. And so being able to focus on that 30 yard and, you know, what it takes to get a good time there with acceleration, I felt like that was really, really important as well as the jump testing. Um, we hadn't really been doing as much jumping at school, but, um, being able to go out there and test jumps with you guys before I went out and did it at the combine, it allowed me to, you know, see things that I needed to work on or, movements that um, I could definitely get better at, but I was definitely prepared going into the combine after working with you guys. So, well, you know, we're, we're glad to be a resource for you. Yeah. Anytime, you know, you need us for, you know, whether it be testing or you have questions on anything. So, um, you know, we're happy to 
share as much as we could with you heading into that experience to, to prepare you in, in the best way that we could. Um, we don't want to keep you too much longer. We have a handful of questions here that we've collected from within the Loden Sports Network. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Uh, let's see what you got for Mike in Colorado, who wants to know if you remember the players that were ahead of you skill-wise when you were younger, and did you believe you'd catch them? Also, what age did you start thinking about this? So, yeah, this is one of those things that didn't really happen for me until I went to college because in high school, I was always a big fish in the small pond in the San Diego circuit. And I was always bigger, faster, stronger back then. And then once you get to college and you're, you know, playing on an SEC team, it's a reality check, even with the guys on your team. And so once I got there and saw how, you know, the top level guys in the country work, like I was able to see how Austin Martin went about his business, you know, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter to see these unbelievable talented players add an unbelievable work ethic too. So for me, that was my first time seeing players like that. And I knew I wanted to get to that point. And, you know, it, it obviously took time. They had been there a lot longer than I had, but that was my reality check and realizing like, hey, if I want to get good at this, you know, there's a lot of things I need to work on. And it definitely drove me to where I'm at today. Yeah, when I initially read the question, um, I kind of felt like you might go in that direction uh, just because of, you know, I remember you in high school, you know, how big you were. Um, but, you know, I think that it, it happens, you know, eventually if you keep playing whatever sport you're playing, like it happens eventually where you sit there and you say, all right, like I'm no longer way ahead of everyone or, you know, this is me catching up. It's, I, I guess it's kind of like the beauty of the development arc is that it's nonlinear and it happens at different paces for every athlete. So um, really good perspective there. Uh, Joe in California wants to know that as a high school athlete, what was the ratio of practice to playing in competitive games for you? So in high school, it was, it was, you know, I, I mostly focused on the high school season when I was at school, but the second that that was over, we were, you know, all over the country playing all these different events and it felt like I never got a weekend off. And at that time, I didn't really know how to take care of my body or do whatever because, you know, I was just kind of going through it and I just thought, you know, show up at the baseball field and everything will take care of itself. But um, for me, yeah, no, it, it's, it was a lot of competitive playing for sure. And in that you kind of lose the fun of baseball a little bit because you're taking it all so seriously. But being able to take a step back since I've been in college and just kind of enjoy the moment, enjoy the the process of getting ready and going to go play a game that you love, you know, that's what, that's what really changed for me, for sure. Nice. Uh, Tim in North Carolina wants to know if the modern college athlete is more aware of the data and metrics being gathered on them and if how it affects your approach to training and on-field play. So, yeah, when I showed up to Vanderbilt, I had never been exposed to metrics or data, um, in my own game. So they were able to develop like a hot cold zone for me, my freshman fall, right, right, right when I left for uh, Christmas break. And they gave me, you know, my launch angles and everything where I was hitting the ball well, where I wasn't hitting the ball well. And as a young kid, you know, I tried to grasp as much of it as I could and understand it. But at the same time, it was kind of unhealthy how much I was consuming because I was more focused on the weak points than it was the strong points. And so just time being there and being able to realize like, 
the things that you need to focus on data and metric wise don't necessarily always translate to the field because at the end of the day, it's about you showing up and you being uh, ready to play and having the confidence in your strengths, you know, not the fear of your weaknesses. Um, but it's, it's around and, you know, you kind of just develop for yourself what you like, what you don't like, what's important to you, what's not important to you. But it definitely takes some time to figure out. And I'm excited to go to pro ball and get more perspective on these kinds of things because it is something that can help with development. It's just about having the right relationships and the right communicators around you to help you understand, you know, how to work on certain things or what you need to improve on. But yeah, I'm excited to see what that looks like moving forward. But in college, it's really just take what you need and don't think too much into it because at the end of the day, you just got to go out there and play. Yeah, I think you brought something up there where you said that it takes having the right perspective and the right communicators around you when it comes to taking in data. Because there's so much data, and it's not just in baseball, it's in other sports too, that's out there to give you insights into your game. And I think it's such a critical piece of where the game is today, where maybe five or six years ago you get away with, you know, oh, I'm not going to take in any data and I'm just going to go about my business and I'll be just fine. I think it takes a very special player in today's game to be able to do that. Um, and I think even still, those players are probably missing out on an opportunity to be even better with the data that's available. Um, but I also think, and this is rampant in the amateur baseball environment, whether it's at the high school level, travel ball level, whatever it is, the miscommunication or the over-communication of data uh, in such ways where it really can take you as an athlete on a trip uh, in your own head of, well, if someone can't concisely deliver the message on what this means, I'm going to think about it and I'm going to try and figure out what it means. And a lot of times that's not a good thing. So uh, really good perspective there. Uh, great answer to that question. Um, and definitely appreciate your willingness and your openness to taking in that new information. Um, and you know, my hope for you is that the environment that you end up in in pro ball is, it has those, the right perspectives and the right communicators of the data that they'll be giving you. Me too. I appreciate it. Uh, Zoe in Illinois wants to know if playing next to one of the best up the middle defenders in college baseball this year and Enrique Bradfield pushed you to up your game. Oh, 100%. I mean, me and that kid would compete over everything um, in training or in the games or whatever. And, you know, he's such a good guy and he's so easygoing that you're able to learn so much from him because he's able to explain everything really well, too. So if I had questions about drop steps or first movement or what I'm looking at or how to, you know, go after a ball in the sun, on the run, that kind of thing, he was, you know, he's as... Um, athletic as they come and he's also as articulate as they come in explaining and teaching those things that are important and being able just to have him in center field next to me um, and being able to see the way that he moved and the way that he, he attacked balls in the outfield is definitely something that pushed my game up a lot higher because I was able to see you know someone as good as they come um, you know in a front row seat so yeah, that's the beauty of going to Vanderbilt is you got other really high-level players around you. And I know there's other schools out there that you know have a good collection of high-level talent. But, um, yeah, I could, I can definitely see where playing next to him every day and practicing, you know, with him. He's, you know, we, we know Enrique pretty well. And um, that kid's wired a special way when it comes to, 
you know, the details and, and the comp, the competition and, um, everything like that. So, you know, <laughs> that's a good one to have next year. Yeah. hundred percent. He's going to be a steal for whoever gets him next year. I'll tell you that. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually mean that one, but I'll take it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, fun one here. Matt in Connecticut wants to know what your next walk-up song will be and also any all-time favorite bands, artists, or records. Um, so I think I might keep the walk-up song the same that I had in college this year. It was a pretty good song. It's uh, Lifetime by Swedish House Mafia. Walk out right at the beginning, right when it says Lifetime for the first time. It's got a nice beat, good vibe to it, and the stadium liked it. So I think I'm going to maintain with that one. I feel comfortable with that. I know my routine that goes along with it. Um, but as far as music and bands and stuff, um, I'm a big fan of my brother's band, obviously I'm plugging right here, but in mega mango band, I love them. Uh, I listen to a lot of rap music. I listen to a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of rap music, especially around the baseball field and the weight room and all that stuff. It's pretty hard to avoid. So we'd listen to, you know, a lot of little baby, a lot of gunna, a lot of, um, Young Thug and whoever else, a lot of Kodak because we have a lot of guys from Florida on our team. So a lot of that was playing in the weight room. The first couple of years, listening to a lot of Trippy Red and Pop Smoke because we had guys from um, their areas on our team. But as far as records go, um, I love, I always go back to Mac Miller's older albums, um, like Macadelic and the one where he's it's like Red Doors or something like that. And then his last two albums I thought were great. And yeah, I love music and it's fun being able to share these things with my brothers because, you know, they're all over the place with, you know, their musical interests and being able to play different things. So yeah, they're more on the punk rock side. I'm more on the, uh, the pop and rap side, but you know, it's still fun conversations to say the least. Yeah. Music is such a, a gateway to relationships and culture and, camaraderie and so many different things um i i really do think this was a great question you know just kind of open up that door a little bit because um, I, I i don't think that's you know a piece that a lot of people get is you know a lot of times especially around baseball and you go to a, a ballpark and you hear the same songs for walk-up songs and the same songs for you know in between innings and all that but um yeah i don't know i wish that there was a way to in, infuse culture a little bit more in baseball and, and maybe that's the direction that baseball will ultimately go in and that'd be great. But, um, you know, appreciate you sharing all of that background. I myself was a big fan of Mac Miller for S and peace. Um, was it watching movies with the sound off was, yeah, yeah. that's the, that's the one I'm thinking of. Cause I'm thinking of red dot music or whatever the, the intro song is. It's funny that you mentioned red dot music cause it came on shuffle the other day in the car and that is, one of my all-time favorite songs beautiful song yeah i love it yeah um all right last one emma in north carolina wants to know which animal you think would make the best baseball player oh well i mean it depends on what you're going for you know if you're if you want somebody who's going to track the ball down in the outfield you got to get a golden retriever or something out there that can move well or an australian shepherd we have a couple of those guys and they cover ground pretty fast um so i'd have to say a dog in that sense, but up at the plate, you probably want, you know, something strong, like a bear. Probably those guys move pretty well for their size, but I don't know how well they'd swing a bat. Um, yeah, I'm not really too sure. I'd probably have to go with either, yeah, some kind of 
hunting dog in the outfield and some kind of, you know, big grizzly bear up at the plate. Well, there you have it. Spencer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Personally, I can't wait for a couple weeks to pass here so that I can start box score watching your pro debut. Enjoy the moment with your family this weekend, your friends. We'll talk to you again real soon. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Matt. That'll do it for this episode of the Loden Sports Outlier Sessions. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to continuing to bring you the brightest and most engaging guests from within the Loden Sports Network. To stay on top of what or who is coming next, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Loden Sports. Whether you enjoyed this episode on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, please like, comment, subscribe, share with your friends, and we'll see you next time.